Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my two brothers, my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. And my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. It's just throwing me off. We're going out of order today. Yeah, that's right. I'm All mixing right. it up. You know, why that, you know why that is? Why? Because I'm the fastest. <laughs> so I get to get introduced first. That's he, fine. That's fine. Suck it. He is. Matthew is very excited about his title as the fastest 40-yard dasher of the brothers. We ran the 40-yard dash. You should check out the video on our uh, Twitter feed. Uh, Matthew, tell us a little bit about what it felt like to be the best. Honestly, I, I, I was just flying. <laughs> I, I, I was, I'm going, never gone faster. No, 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 no. no. no, no, no. Like, to be clear, we all ran in the five twos. So none of us were flying. Um, but I, I would have... I would understand if you mean that you were flying high after realizing that you were that you were the victor. You know what? The best part about winning is that both of y'all picked me to finish last. It's true, actually. Um, which, which, obviously, I like winning, but the fact that I had to overcome those obstacles and kind of like shove it in your face was even better. I don't know that I picked you to be last. There's there's no record of me doing that. There there is audio record. We'll have to go back. Is there and actually? Confirm it. Yes. I would like for you to do okay. more work on this pod and clip that in here. <laughs> I would like. I, I'll I'll go back and see if I can find it. Insert mark here. Um, no, but the worst part about us running the forty is then I went back to the current NFL draft class and looked at like what position groups we would fall in with. And most of the defensive tackles run faster than us. Oh, sure. not surprised. Like the only one that guards? we would fit with like is centers, like, centers. no, is guards. Like yeah, like yeah. offensive guards is, yeah. and they're all a hundred plus pounds more than we are. It's pretty bad. The I really I, am upset that so we had multiple cameras going for this this filming. We had one set kind of at the end of the line. And then we had to use our phones the, to time the, at the end, so we wanted to have multiple, um, you know, stopwatches. So that left my three-year-old son the toddler to, cam <laughs> to do the toddler cam for the slow mo at the start, which we got Mark and me, and then it just didn't quite work out for Matthew. But it was a pretty embarrassing slow mo start for me, and I wish that I could have seen Matthew's because I feel like it might have made me feel a little bit better. But um, would that have made you feel better, or if I was as terrible of start as you, would it have made you feel worse that I like recovered yeah, from it and it still know. came no, back to it, beat both of y'all? I can I can attest to that because I was faster than Michael, but n- not by a ton. Um, like I can say the same thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like I watched Michael very start. close. I watched Michael start, and I was like, I was way faster off the start than he was, and so maybe at top line speed, he might have been faster than me. I don't know. That doesn't make me feel great. But I also contend that I'm the fastest of the three brothers because if you look at the video, I I ran more than 40 yards. I like and you barely beat me. I veered off to the right and then I cut back in and like I think t- you you definitely won the 45 yard dash. <laughs> yeah, I did, but that's not the competition oh, that we were competing. All right, so I would like to state right now that assuming we're still doing this podcast a year from now, I want to rerun the 40 year No, dash. absolutely. We should every year. It should be every year. We're going we're gonna to make this a Rich Eisen thing, and we're going to do it every year, and we're going to get better. I think next year we should broaden the scope, and we should do, like, cone drills. We should, yeah, let's add one each year. We should do we'll the, add one each year. Yeah, yeah, we should do the bench press. We can start working on that now. All I'm right. confident that so I win that one. Let, 
quick question. Which combine event are you most confident that you could beat your brothers in? Mark. I think it would be bench press. You, you would win the bench press. Michael, which one do you think you would be best at? I feel pretty confident in is it it's the short shuttle where you're just going side to side like changing direction, right? It's it's forward, like back and forth. But then there's a three cone that like does like the triangle. The the three cone is triangle, but isn't the three cone more it's just like back and forth, like the shuttle, the, the like in the presidential yeah. Yeah. like physical yeah, 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 fitness yeah, yeah. thing. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it's, the it's one. Like, it's kind of like running a suicide, but like but real short. Like you, you like touch yeah. and you go back and forth. Yeah, that's the one I think I could do best in. Okay. Um, I think I'd win in the you vertical should, leap. You should choose the 40-yard dash. You think you can jump higher than us? I think I can. Oh, I don't think you can. I really didn't think you could run faster than me either, so <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I have no room to speak. I mean, I know I'm I, I know to I'm, see the vert. The I know vertical. I'm taller than y'all, but I've dunked a basketball in my lifetime on a 10-foot hoop. When you stand, your arm is a full foot <laughs> higher than mine when you stick your hand That's up true. in the air. And you have not even and come can, within a foot of dunking a basketball. I, That's I, not true. I've gra- I can gra- at the height of my basketball career in high school, I could grab the rim and hang on the rim. How what's the diameter of but, a basketball? But I'm a good 6 <laughs> inches. I'm a good 6 inches below that now. Okay. All right. Well, that's I, what I'm saying. I, have I think, dunked I, think a I could. Ball. Yeah, I've, I've dunked a full size basketball before, when when I had spent a whole summer like playing basketball and I was at like the peak of my physical shape. I I could do it, and that oh, was just this is about go- the this is going to be fun. This right. is gonna I can't of my wait athletic to do, career. I say vertical vertical leap is the one we do next year, because uh, I just okay that makes sense. All right, that's fun. I'm I'm interested in all of them. Our old actually, high school, except for bench press, because none of us could do two twenty five. <laughs> I don't know if I could do one rep. I'm not even yeah. sure no, I could no, do one. I don't think any of us could. So we would have to make it like half I'm, of that. And then no, it's just sad. I'm pretty close. I think I can beat y'all by squeezing out one, two, 25. Mark, Mark's going <laughs> to squeaking it out. Mark's going to work all year to get one, two, 25 rep. It would not be easy, but I, I think I could squeak one out. Here's, here's the thing. I'll give Mark. Mark is the only one of us, I think, that has a chance to do a 225 rep yeah. on the no. bench press. I don't no. think. I, I certainly don't, and Michael's old. I've so never we'll lifted see. weights. It just yeah. hasn't happened. <laughs> All right. Well, th- well, that was fun. Yeah. I, I'll t- revel t- in stay that tuned. victory. Stay tuned for who is the most dominant athlete out of all of us. Matthew's negligibly faster. We have a great podcast for you guys today, but we're going to be covering a lot. So we have Tim Miller on the pod, who is one of our favorite um, people that we follow on Twitter and interact with on Twitter. We become friends with him. Um, as always, we wanted to make sure right before the draft we get the hot takes from Grandpa. He always has something to say. And we're going to talk about um, some of the Browns news that's coming up here, Jarvis Landry contract, and pick some of the Vegas lines. Hello. Grandpa, it's Michael. And Matthew's here Hello, with me, Michael. too. What's happening? Well, what's happening there? I hear some background music. What's that? What's happening there? I hear some background music. Oh, it's a, it's a movie that we're looking at. <laughs> Got it. Well, we were yeah. realizing we haven't talked to you in a while and figured we'd call uh-huh. you since in advance of the draft and try to figure out what you're thinking. Ah. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, I think that the, the, there's probably no doubt in my mind that the Browns have to take a have to take quarterback in the first first pick, 
And I think that they they have to take that that end from that hug Suggs or what's his name Chubb, Chubb, Chubb. Yeah, uh, they I think they should take him with the fourth pick. So which quarterback do you like? Well, I I was I was looking at uh, 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 maybe Rosen. I don't know Rosen or that Allen. Rosen or Allen? What do you like about Allen? Well, I these guys are both both pretty big guys, you know, and uh, I think that they they probably any any quarterback they pick has got to be a little bit more accurate than these guys are anyway. They probably got a lot to learn, but I, I think that you you just can't uh, you can't take a, a, a just a six foot quarterback and think he's going to tear the league apart. You know, you got to get these guys that are six four, six five. And I think that's a big plus. I, I think that the uh, probably the anchor is really around uh, Dorsey's neck there. I mean, six months down the road, he's going to find out whether he whether he's shitting his pants or what, you know, because <laughs> he's going to find because he's going to know right away if he missed the boat. Uh, and six months down the road, he's going to find out. So, Grandpa, no. Grandpa, you you no. didn't even mention Sam Darnold. Do you not like Sam Darnold? I think he's the probably the most likely pick at number one. I don't have anything against Darnold. In fact, I think the Browns were looking kind of hard at him at one time. But I I, I just think that they they would be between this this Rosen and Allen. I think you know. And uh, of course, Dorsey didn't call me and check with what I was thinking. Of. <laughs> <laughs> should have, should have though, for sure. So here's the real question. Do you have any confidence that the Browns will make the right selection? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, they don't have a good track record, let's face it. Uh, but it's, a, it's, like it's, said, it's new guys making the pick. At least we can have some optimism that they, they, might, they might know what they're doing. Listen, they could, they, could, they could turn this season around and be 100% improvement over last year. That's well, it wouldn't take one, much. Win one game. Yeah. Infinitely it, better. That would actually be an infinite <laughs> improvement. <laughs> <laughs> All it does is win one game, and they got a better record than last year. <laughs> it's a low bar. It's a very, very yeah. low bar. <laughs> well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stay up and really uh, uh, watch this draft because I keep my fingers crossed that they, that they don't – that they don't do the wrong thing again. Well, you don't have to stay up too uh, late, I, I think Grandpa. That, that, we got the first huh, and huh? the fourth pick. You don't have to stay up too late. You just got to watch. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm going to do. After that, <laughs> after that, it doesn't matter who they pick, you know. But I think that I don't think they could go past this chub. I, uh, I, I think that this guy uh, is way better than this uh, Barkley because I don't think they need a running back. That, they got enough running back. That's the smartest thing I've ever heard you say. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I hope that your prediction on the Bradley Chubb piece is true. We'll uh, we'll call you maybe on Thursday night, um, shortly after the Browns pick, and get your get your hot take. <laughs> okay, it's gonna be Rosen or Allen, and then definitely Chubb. Who who's gonna make you the angriest if we pick? Well. Probably anybody except those two guys probably piss me off. I think they're the best <laughs> ones. 
these guys, you can you can go in the third, third, fourth, fifth round. You can you can always pick a pick a running back. You know, you know, and uh, it, it, it doesn't take much. You could take a running back and throw him in there right away and say, here, go get him. But you know, a, a, a skilled player, uh, they, you just like a quarterback. He's not going to play the, the first year he's drafted. There's probably no way he's going to play. And well, what was the first year you got to figure that that's a wasted pick. You're not going to get anything out of this guy the first year he's there. But if you pick, like you pick a guy like Chubb, uh, well, now this, this guy really could, could be a big producer for you. He could, he could, uh, uh, he could really make a big difference. And uh, I think that's what they need to do. I'm with you. I think we're all with you, actually. Yeah, that makes sense to me. If we, if we walk away with the best quarterback in the draft and Bradley Chubb, I, yeah. you can't lose in that situation in my opinion um, yeah I, I, I think I think that they almost have to do that I I don't see how they could pass up this Chubb not with uh, not to not to take a running back instead of him I say that's wrong I, bad move I I think that this Dorsey's got a little bit got more smarts than that you know he's not going to do that yeah, yeah. Well, he's, hopefully he's, he'll still be there well, he's he's really under the gun because he's got to make it right. He's only got one chance to make it right, and they'll probably hang him in effigy if he if he screws this draft up. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. So, Grandpa, before before we let you go, I gotta say I I got your birthday card and I had a good laugh <laughs> at it. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's the only one I could find, Matthew. <laughs> So, did you actually have that card in your house? You had a sympathy card that you sent me for my birthday, or did you go buy a sympathy card thinking that it was funny to now, send me? I wouldn't. I don't want to tell you that. <laughs> now, I want you to. I want you to think that I went out specifically and bought that. One. Okay. I would uh, like you to think that. Good, because that's what I think. Father, I got everybody's birthday all screwed up, but I, I hear you guys were laughing about it too. <laughs> Yeah, you sent Matthew a birthday card on my birthday. You sent <laughs> well, you sent Megan a birthday card on Matthew's okay. birthday. It okay, was great. I, I got the I got the old calendar out where everybody's got their birthday on it, and I and I went and changed them on the computer because you gave me this calendar here, but everybody's got their birthday on it. So I I wrote everybody's birthday down. There you go. It's okay. So we appreciated now, it. it on, it was more amusing that, this way. Yeah, from now on, you won't be getting the wrong card at the wrong time. So does Michael get a birthday card to make up for the fact that he didn't get one, or does he just have to wait? Well, it's too bad. You miss you, you miss out, you miss out. Miss <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's, that's actually how I want to leave it. Um, I, I don't, don't send him one. He just misses out. He only turned 30, so it doesn't matter. Uh, um, no biggie. <laughs> All right, Grandpa. Okay, guys. All right, you're the best. Love you. Go Browns. Go, Go Browns, Browns, baby. Okay. I'll talk to you. Bye. See, Bye. I love that. I can only aspire to be that level of not giving a single F <laughs> when I get to his age. Like, that's just the, that's the best thing in the world. Um, and based on what he said, I, I actually wouldn't have put it past Grandpa to go out and physically buy that card. But it sat based on what he said. It sounds like he literally just had it, and he was too lazy to go buy anything oh, yeah. else. And, yeah. Oh yeah. And and so we all want these birthday cards, just for anyone who cares at all. It's a birthday card with uh, a short little note and a crisp fifty dollar bill. Yeah. Back in our, when we were little children, uh, I was five years old. He would give me that crisp fifty dollar bill, and he'd say, "Go buy some beer and cigarettes." <laughs> <laughs>
And, and he would laugh hysterically. He thought that was the funniest thing. I still think it's funny. And now that <laughs> now that's what I actually do. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually what I use that fifty dollars for. Not really, but um, so. Um, so there's been a lot of Browns news coming up recently. Most specifically, the biggest news is we signed Jarvis to his. Um, so we just signed him to his new contract. It, it's looking like five years, $75 million, which on um, surface level looks like a ludicrous amount. But um, we have a way out. After 2019, um, it's only $4.5 million um, dead left on the cap if we um, get out of the contract. So... Um, when I first saw the numbers, I was terrified, but upon a deeper look, um, it, it might not be as bad. Well, I mean, when we talked about Jarvis Landry, the trade to get Jarvis Landry, we didn't give up too much in the trade. It was basically what we got from the Panthers for that Andy Lee trade. So I think we're all okay with that. It was all going to be like our assessment of the trade was going to be based on how, whether or not we'd be able to sign him long-term and the terms of that deal. Now we're talking right. about the terms of that deal. So if we had kept him on the franchise tag, it would have been about $16 million for the 2018 season. So you've got to look through that prism. Like if we did not sign this deal with Jarvis Landry, he'd be making $16 million this year. So Already. the average of this deal, if you just take a look at it on the very surface level, five years, 75 and a half, is about $15 million. So we jump back a little bit. But we are in the range of some of the elite wide receivers in the NFL and I don't think anyone really puts Jarvis Landry as... He's the as, fifth highest cap hit of any of the, on average of any of the receivers in the NFL. So it is a stout, stout number that we are committing to for, for Jarvis Landry. Now, the, the good news is in the fine print. Um, as Mark stated, if we, the Browns have an out after two seasons. So after the 2020 season, 2019 season, prior to the 2020 season, if we get out, it's, there's only $4.5 million dead left on the cap, yeah, which so is a pretty small number given that there's three years left. And that's for those of you that don't study the inner workings of these things, basically the way that this works is there's a signing bonus, and he got like a $7.5 million signing bonus, and that gets spread out through the course of the, through the, course of the contract. So basically $1.5 million is assigned to each year that would be basically count against the Browns' cap. He, the, he gets all of, of that money. He gets today, that money today, but it's but it counts against the cap spread. into the future, which is and really the only thing that matters to the team moving forward. Yeah, like and this this deal this deal was reported as a seventy five point five million dollar deal with forty seven million dollars guaranteed, but that includes the two thousand twenty salary, which is only fully guaranteed if he's still on the roster after like March third. Of 2019, Correct. I believe it's not so, fully guaranteed. That's not yeah. a fully guaranteed. So number. it's it's not fully guaranteed until after a certain date, and if you cut him before a certain date, then you don't owe him any of that money. So to me, the way that they structured this deal gives the Browns a good bit of flexibility. I think if I would rather the Browns sign him to this deal where we have flexibility to get out in future years than just let him play out this year on the, on the franchise tag and potentially risk not having him at into the future if he plays well. So to me, like my priority was getting him signed. I would prefer it to be a little bit of a lesser number, but the way the deal is structured makes me feel okay about it. I'm still not excited. 
about the like overall deal and the amount of money for a slot receiver. I just don't think the value is there. Like when you see some of the other players that are of a similar caliber to to him, like you see a Willie Sneed get signed to less than $10 million for two years. And what is the real drop-off from Jarvis Landry to Willie Sneed? I don't think that the dollar amount disparity is significant enough to make up for their their talent differences. I think – I don't. I think I'd rather have Willie Sneed for less for than ten million dollars over two years. No, for sure. So here's. I just don't think the value's there. I, but I like having Jarvis Landry on our team. I think he brings a lot of intangibles. I like that um, we're gonna have the flexibility going forward to kind of move the pieces around if we need to. So here, that's that's my take. Here's the thing. I like. I don't disagree with you that I like having Jar- Jarvis Landry on the team. Like I'm excited about having him on the team too. I thoroughly disagree with you about signing him to this contract because we had him under contract for this year under the franchise tag for 15, basically $16 million, just shy of $60 million. Yep. Um, so we have him under control this year. We could franchise him again next year for $19.2 million, basically, which is a huge number for a wide receiver. You would never do that. Okay. You would never do that, but... If, if we are just looking to control Jarvis Landry for two years, under the current contract structure, we have him for a little over $34 million. If we just franchised him both years and then let him walk, we would have him for $35 million. So my theory is that Jarvis Landry is not worth $15 million. Like, we franchised him. Everybody, I will disagree with that. Everybody understands that Jarvis Landry is being overpaid at that $15 million rate. So what is the harm in letting him play out his franchise year and then try to re-sign him at a reasonable rate, probably closer to that Doug Baldwin contract, which was $11, $12 million a year? Let him play out this year, reach the open market, try to re-sign him for that $11, $12 million a year, feel pretty good about it, if you don't think you're going to be able to re-sign him at that rate, franchise him again, you've now spent just at nineteen million dollars. Sure, okay, but but you so, will have still paid about the you, same amount as we will in the next right, two years. Right, but you won't have to pay that dead money hit after two years. So the money ends up being basically the same when there's also that option of signing him at a at market rate of. 10, 11 million dollars. You also and lose even that, the ability to franchise someone though. And even that I might argue is still too high for Jarvis Landry. Like I sure. don't I'm I'm trying to think in my head if we let him play out his franchise tag this year, what team is going to come out and sign him to a 15 million dollar a year contract for the next 4 years? There's no way that he plays all 5 of these years. I think it's either it's a question of whether he plays 2 or whether he plays 3. Well, in my he, he certainly isn't going to get to 2022 because he's got a $16.6 million cap hit in that fifth year. There's not a chance. That he well, because that's when Miles Garrett's going to start getting paid and all of these guys that like yeah. almost certainly were going to be signing to big money second contracts. I, I, if I had to bet, I don't think Jarvis Landry is a Brown in 2020. So you Just say it's two years and that's it. I think so. I, I don't disagree with that. Now, the... My argument against your opinion about just keeping him on the franchise this year and then 
re-upping it again for 19 million next year. I get the financial piece of it, and I agree with you that in the dollars and cents perspective, that that makes sense. But the piece that you're missing is like Jarvis Landry right now feels like the Browns are committed to him long term. Whereas if where he's on a one year deal, he's on a prove it type deal, and with the just what I know of Jarvis Landry seems like the guy that you want to be on his good side to get the absolute best out of the guy. Like, could be a pretty negative cancer, like, in the locker room if he was pissed off. Well, I hope he doesn't listen to our podcast because then the Browns are screwed. Well, You're I just mean, that's just him my, everything he needs to know. That's just my, that's my, <laughs> we point. might cut you in two years, Jarvis. Jarvis, if you listen to the pod, <laughs> call me. <laughs> Tweet we'll have at you us. As a guest. So that's my only point. I think it's kind of more of the intangible piece, like the message that it sends to him and what it sends to them to the rest of the team that we're like ready to win now. And I'm not like a big proponent of that sort of thing, but I think that's the only thing you, that has to be considered and probably does matter to some degree. But I guess I guess my thing is like what is that what is that worth because by signing him to this deal where losing the opportunity to sign him to a long-term deal that actually fits his market value, which I would argue is at least $4 million below per year, below what we're currently paying him. So that's $20 million that we, like long-term that we agreed to this, short-term $8 million that we're paying him just for being this like locker room positive force leadership like you're buying into the long term like i don't i don't know how front offices deal with like that situation it seems like it seems like if you're a player like that's a win for you if front offices actually factor in like your pissy ability and are willing to pay (laughs) you just not to be an asshole like like and that doesn't seem how business works, but m- maybe it does. But I also feel like you guys are really underestimating what Jar- the value that Jarvis Landry provides. Like he's going to get a ton of catches. No, right? and like, like no, he's but that's what be, that's he, what I'm saying. I think he's he's an eleven million dollar a year wide receiver, just not a fifteen million dollar a year wide receiver. He's not like right now. He's got the fifth highest cap hit in the league, behind a, like Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, or no. Yeah, but we no. Talk- he's above Julio Jones, so yeah. he's Antonio yeah. Brown, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, and Sammy Watkins. I, I agree that if we're the Patriots, we shouldn't pay Jarvis Landry that. But that's just not the situation that we're in. We are the Browns, and we have to pay a tax in order to retain <laughs> the people that we want to have on our team. And to have someone like Jarvis Landry, who led the league in receptions last year, it is to be seen if Tyrod and Tyrod Taylor is a great fit for Jarvis Landry. Like I, I don't think that what we're paying him is what like middle of the road team would get for him on the market. But I do think that this is like the way that we're going to have to go about business. If we're going to want to get some top in the short term, in In the short term, which is exactly the contract that John Dorsey structured for us getting him in the short term. Yes. But we don't have to worry about the short term because we can just franchise him. We can, we can pay the premium in the short term by using the franchise tag. And then if, like the let the market decide how much he's worth in the long term, and if he enjoys being here and he's being productive, we're happy to pay him. If his production's going to drop because he's not going to be the primary target in this offense, Josh Gordon's going to be there, Duke Johnson's going to be there. Like there's a lot of people who are going to siphon small receptions away from him. I think a year from now, if he hit the open market, he would he would be 
like demanding a contract like four years, $40 million, which is much more palatable. If we use the franchise tag to properly leverage that situation, we could get him for the same like length of a contract on much better terms. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fair, but it's going to be, I think the franchise tag one year, two years, I would not be happy if we franchise tag him for $19 million. And I know it's the same thing logically, like about how much money we're going to pay he, over but the But if he sucks, contract. let him walk. Like let him yeah. walk, let some other team overpay but, him. But in an essence, we're going to be doing just about the same thing. Or transition if we tag him, him. If we get him off the team in two years, we're going to be doing just about the same thing. It's, like it's a, it's a plus or minus of a couple million dollars. It's true, but you're foregoing the opportunity to have him on your team for a for a, a longer at term a at a reasonable rate. I got you. All right. Well, he's on our team. I'm excited to see the outcome. Uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, I don't think any of us believe that he'll see the final years of this deal. That's um, also, it's just so great for Tyrod Taylor and whatever new quarterback we come in to have a bunch of different options at wide receiver. And it's going to be – it's good. It's good for the Browns. Maybe not the wisest decision, but it's good for the Browns. Um, what – at least coming up next year – which we have a very difficult schedule. Our schedules just came out, and we have, I've seen a couple different um, projectings, but we have one of the hardest schedules in the NFL as far as, and that obviously can change um, depending on how the teams do next year after the draft and all of their moves and free agency and whatnot. Um, but based on their records last year, we have the fourth or fifth hardest schedule in the NFL, which is unpalatable going 0-16 and, and then having a top five the most difficult schedule. schedule. It's just, that's awful. It is it is basically the reason the Browns have um, had such a hard time for so long is that we play in a tough division is what it comes down to. If you look at the other teams in our division, they have one of the easiest schedules in because theory. Because they play us. Because they play the Browns twice. So, like, the Cincinnati Bengals, who finished third in the division last year, have one of the easiest schedules in the entire NFL simply because they play a team that was 0-16 the previous year twice. So, yes, it's hard, but it is, to your point, Mark, it is looking at last season's records is a pretty poor way of determining you yeah, know, like how the, challenging someone's schedule actually is. And the so, Jags on your schedule last year looked super easy whenever we were going into the beginning of the season. Not exactly. true. Yeah. And exactly. they kick your ass. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So time will tell. Okay. Any team in the NFL can beat another from one given week. I mean, the Browns need to focus on improving. The one thing I'm excited about with this schedule release is that we finally got a primetime game. That's good. Yeah. They'd held us out During of primetime. During the regular season. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. our last Thursday night football game? Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> it wasn't it like Brandon Whedon won the game like late with like a deep no, bomb or something like no, that. No, it was more recent than that. It was against the Ravens when the field goal that we were about to kick to win the game got blocked and then returned for a touchdown. Yeah. Oh yes, I yep. remember that. So I try to I try to filter out the bad memories and keep the positive ones. I remember the positive Brandon Whedon. I think it was against Buffalo Thursday night game whenever we actually won. So I saw this week three primetime game versus the Jets. and it's I Thursday I, night. Thursday night game. And I actually have a fan, um, James Hunt, who is a huge Jets fan. And a I, friend or a fan? Like you have a personal fan? Did I say a fan? fan? A fan of the pod or a, a <laughs> did fan I say of you? Fan? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, it's a friend. I don't know why <laughs> I said fan. Um, but he is a fan of the Jets. And um, I, I have a connection with him because he is a fan of a very bad football team um and so we bond over that i bet him 100 dollars that the browns would beat the jets on week three prime time thursday i just dove right into it 
Well, both teams have no idea who's going to start at quarterback. Exactly. For, for, those, for that game. Well, we know Tyrod's going to start unless he gets hurt. Unless he gets hurt. But we'll I think see. we know. Um, so, good bet, bad bet. What do you think? No, I would take that bet. I just like I like to be optimistic, you know? Actually, I, what I don't know about that game, is it in New York or Cleveland? Um, that kind of matters to me. I do not actually With know. how close those teams are, it matters a ton. Right. New York's not good. Um, I think it is Thursday Night Football. It doesn't say. Oh, it is home. Browns win. Might say in Cleveland. Might be our first win. That would be awesome. That's true. That's our first like, yeah, we start winnable off, game, we, I feel, at the schedule. First game is against Pittsburgh. Then we play New Orleans. Then the Jets. Yeah, definitely our first chance to win. I mean, yeah. we could beat it's Pittsburgh. At, but we it's could at Pittsburgh, New Orleans. But... Like, there's – I don't like our odds. I mean, there's a chance we go 16-0. I could make an argument that we beat all these teams. In, in isolation. There's a, you say there's a chance we beat Pittsburgh. There's also a chance we beat New Orleans. There's a chance we beat the Jets. But most likely we're probably going to lose to Pittsburgh and New Orleans. All right. We, there's been so much Browns news this week and since our last podcast. We wanted to make sure to hit those topics, but we have a pretty great guest coming up that we want to introduce everyone to. Um, so we had the opportunity to have Tim Miller on the pod. He's one of our favorite uh, Twitter follows. Um, we just have enjoyed everything, all of his analysis on Twitter. He's really deep into scouting and just a really, really smart guy. Um, and Where can so, you find him on Twitter, Mark? Um, we, you can find him at Bumbly Jack is his Twitter feed. Um, that is spelled exactly like it sounds, Bumbly Jack. I would not embarrass myself as to spell it right now. Um, but he is a, a great guy, and you should follow him um, if you have Twitter and you do that sort of thing. So, Tim, thanks for coming on. Uh, we want to know, first off, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started and got interested in scouting. Where did that kind of form? Um, how did you start doing that? Well, I uh, grew, up, grew up as a Cleveland Browns fan. Sorry. And, <laughs> well, no, I mean, my family was. I'm from Northeast Ohio. I'm used to all the struggles and trials of being a Browns fan. Um, and so it doesn't even feel like a burden anymore. Some of that might be Stockholm syndrome. Part of it, <laughs> you know, a lot of it's love, but um, either way. Uh, but one of the issues that we've had is we either had a quarterback in couch that we couldn't protect, couldn't support, couldn't surround him with a good cast, uh, supporting cast, or we didn't have a quarterback at all. And the only real hope of fixing those problems was the NFL draft. Uh, yeah. But for me, I'm a guy who's I, I want to see the facts or at least a line of logic that kind of adds up and shows me why you have an opinion, not just here's my opinion. That's it. Right. And uh, with, some, some in the local media, I think, try their best. Some of them, I don't even know if they try. But they just they don't do a good job of actually giving that amount of support. You know, they might say, well, I like this player. Okay, why? 
what do you like about this play? You know, they can't really, they hardly follow that up. So I was more curious in that and wanted to dig into it for myself. Um, and as people started putting up uh, clips of players on YouTube uh, and, you know, sites like Draft Breakdown and other ones um, mm-hmm. started doing that, that was an opportunity for me to go, you know, do the work myself so that I could see what other people mean when they're saying certain things about, well, I like this prospect and this, you know, all that kind of thing so that I wasn't just putting stock in somebody else's opinion, but I could actually, you know, check it out. That's awesome. We love phone. Yeah. I think we went back, um, you know, we had the random idea to start this podcast in the last off season and kind of put it together right before the season started. One of the first retweets we had was um, on the day that the Browns released Joe Hayden. And mm-hmm. Jason Locke and Fora was all uh, all over it, as he was all last season, with anything related to Hugh Jackson, talking about how irate Hugh Jackson was. And you had a very poignant point that what would be more disappointing is just that Hugh Jackson actually thought that Joe Hayden was uh, a good product on the field <laughs> at that point in time. And so I think that was one of the first four or five uh, Twitter uh, messages or tweets that we put out it was really just a retweet of of yours so we've been we've been following ever since yeah um so tim you've been one of our favorite twitter follows ever since that day um your twitter handle is bumbly jack right yeah everyone who's listening go follow tim miller at bumbly jack if you want some hot insights you'll get all of them so Tim, you um, have been a Browns fan since you were very little. You grew up around there, grew up a Browns fan. Once again, I'm sorry. Um, what is your, in that vein of the Stockholm Syndrome, what is the worst and best Cleveland Browns memory you can think of, if you can separate them? Yeah, the worst memory was the move. Um, mm. That's pretty much my big memory, like, you know, you have these childhood memories that kind of blocked out all of them before that. Just wiped <laughs> them all out. <laughs> this big, this big black void, you know, that was your of, first I memory. guess there used to be a team, you know, but <laughs> I, I want to say my good memory, the one that kind of brought that back a little bit was I was at the 2002 Browns Falcons game where um, in the fourth quarter, William Green had this long touchdown run, and they actually clinched the playoffs. Yeah, that was to week me, that 17, felt I like, Yeah, that felt like they're back. We finally had the Browns back, and, well, it didn't last. No. But still, that was like the return It felt good. to me. You know, personally. Yeah, good. Yeah. So, Tim, yeah. Tim, looking forward to this draft. Hopefully this is another positive memory that, that we make here. Um, Obviously, the Browns need to look at quarterback. Uh, we've got five quarterbacks that are kind of the top five quarterbacks, and Jackson, Allen, Mayfield, Rosen, and Darnold. Um, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about, because I know you're interested in, is what are the path to successes for each of these quarterbacks? Because what's unique about this is they're so different. Like, none of these quarterbacks have the same skill set or bring the same thing to the table. Um, so the path to success in the NFL is going to look different for each of them. Um, I want to go through each of the five quarterbacks that we have um, and get your take on what that looks like, where they're going to have to land to be successful. Um, starting with Lamar Jackson, who we have as, as fifth on our list. We'll work backwards. So with Jackson, um, I'd be concerned about if I was in a windy stadium. 
He puts a lot of air underneath it? Is that what you're saying? Well, he puts a lot of air, but also just, you know, one out of every, like, five flutter. Like, they just go out of control. Um, He throws some ducks out there, uh, unfortunately. And I would want to keep him out of a vertical offense early on. Um, But he's close enough that you could put him in a West Coast offense or a short spread offense like the Patriots run. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you did that, you could do a whole bunch of five to 10 yard routes and working across the middle of the field, sometimes towards the sidelines, but um, having the defense spread out like that too opens up uh, him as a runner. Yeah. So other than the Patriots, what other teams would in your mind would fit like be a good fit for Jackson? Some West Coast teams, we have the Giants, the Jets, um, some Earhart Perkins teams that could go. That kind of shorter version of it would be like Buffalo. Yeah. But even a team like Miami. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so moving on to one of the more – the probably the most polarizing person in this entire draft. Um, we've got Josh Allen as the number four here. Um no matter what you say, you're going to make people mad. So what is it going to take in your mind for Josh Allen to succeed in the NFL? Like what situation is he going to have to fall into? Okay. For me, uh, the template that I see for a path to his success, uh, best example I can remember was um, Jay Cutler in Denver running the Shanahan offense. Uh, With that zone blocking scheme, there's a whole bunch of – easy bootlegs that you can, you know, create off of that. And you can have receivers and tight ends breaking off of their blocks and releasing into wide open, you know, spaces out in, in deep down the field. Um, and that's something that if you run that kind of offense with Allen, you're also moving him out of the pocket some where he's a little more comfortable because he, he looks to bail from the pocket too early anyway. Um, and that might be the kind of offense that uh, if you were willing to run that, you could ease his transition, keep him from – basically you're going to be having him do what he wants to do anyway. But doesn't, doesn't putting Josh Allen in a Shanahan-style offense, like that might be the way that he succeeds the best in the NFL, but doesn't it also like undercut some of – what people are saying are his strengths in, in the fact of like throwing downfield, like making the, like using his big arm. Like I remember Shanahan's offense. I mean, we thrived in it with Brian Hoyer and Johnny Manziel. Like neither of them have crazy arm strength. They weren't making like bold throws downfield. It was more well-designed plays, like easy options for the quarterback. So what's the point in having Josh Allen, if you're going to have that scheme, like, it feels like because any quarterback has, can fit survive in that the scheme. The issue with Josh Allen is he has so many issues that you have to protect yourself against them by running a particular scheme like Tim is saying. And so you're not actually going to be able to get a good product on the field. Like I think so this is not, exactly the case for why you don't yeah. want to touch Josh and that, Allen. And that's fair, but why not just draft Kyle Laletta? Like, is there any benefit to having Josh Allen over Kyle Laletta if the – like? situation for them to thrive is Kyle Shanahan. What do you think, Tim? Well, yeah, I agree with you guys that you're not really getting the bang for your buck by putting him in an offense that 
anybody can run that kind of covers covers up for the weakness of a of a weak arm or um right i mean brian hoyer brian hoyer had really poor deep accuracy and he was still able to hit some deep shots in that offense um there's yeah it doesn't play to josh allen's strengths but right now there's no way to do that right yeah yeah Yeah, no that that seems fair so Moving moving on to somebody that we like a lot more than Josh Allen, um, <laughs> which is kind of a completely different player. It's also um, not saying a lot. Yeah, no, it's not <laughs> saying a lot. There's, there's a lot of players we like more than Josh Allen at this point. But, um, Tim, Baker Mayfield is slightly polarizing as well in the fact that his size and his attitude, um, kind of people are turned off by I like his, his attitude, his, No, I, no I, I love it. Um, what do you see – what does he need in order to thrive in the NFL? Well, um, one of the he has a similar issue to Allen. It's just not as big of an issue. You know, it's a lesser degree but similar problem. Of he right now, he's not at the point of well-timed, uh, efficient pocket play. Mm-hmm. Put a clip up on Twitter at one point where he took eight steps when he could have just taken three. Um, right. Just back in the pocket where it's just, just gets like oh, happy taking feet. a step to the yeah. right, step to the left. Just, yeah. Not sure what he's doing um, where he could have just, you know, taken a couple hits steps and fired the ball and wouldn't have even had to feel the pressure. It's a little strange to say this because the rest of his game is different, but in that way, he kind of reminds me of Derek Anderson with the Browns. Hmm. There'd be a few times that he would, I just remember plays where Joe Thomas has, you know, his guy blocked, and Anderson, for no reason at all, drifted beyond Thomas's block outside of the pocket, not looking to scramble, just drifted, and it turns into a sack out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah I would and, also take a Derek Anderson because that was our best season in recent memory. Well, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, so. Yeah, he, Derek Anderson. So on the Tomahawk podcast, Derek Anderson was Joe Thomas's selection as his all Joe Thomas team quarterback. I mean, what the other options weren't exactly great. Yeah, really. So I mean, <laughs> had I to choose somebody. I don't. I don't know that that's like a ringing endorsement of Derek Anderson as much as just a a, a pitiful an indictment, indictment on how terrible the quarterback Joe Thomas. Yeah, Joe Thomas deserves so much better. Poor guy. He really so does. so but, Baker uh, Mayfield. Sorry to get us. I took us off track yeah, to get yeah. us back on track. Uh, what what system do you see him doing well in? Okay, an Earhart Perkins system, uh, and you could go either just a four verticals version of it, or you could do what um, Houston did with Deshaun Watson last year, which they moved the pocket a lot. They used misdirection in the run game. And then they also mix that in with the passing game as well. So that Deshaun Watson's drifting in the pocket was not a factor because they, they, you know, played into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Tim, um, can you explain an Earhart Parkinson system? This is the second time you've, you've referenced it um, for, for people listening who might not be familiar with, with what you're talking about there. Me. I was not familiar with what that was. <laughs> I, yeah. So. Earhart Perkins doesn't specify what type of offense, like vertical or short passing game or whatever. 
what it specifies is that their priority is put on short, efficient play calls. Really easy, like some West Coast offensive plays. Like if you're doing the play call, it might be 13, 15 words. Where an Earhart Perkins play, it might be like, let's see, 81, Hank, pin. That's it. Hmm. A number okay. and two words. And, you know, that was, that was like uh, curl flat and uh, post dig. Uh, what it is is the two – the number says the formation. The two words say, okay, on the left side, we're going to do this route combination. And the other half of the – the other word in there is the other side of the formation. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So that, it sounds like you're describing an offense that's simple enough that Corey Coleman can understand it. Is is really what I'm hearing. Houston <laughs> system is one of the trickier ones. Yeah, I mean, which don't get me started I mean, with, on Hugh with Jackson the word, with the verbiage. Yeah, yeah, don't get me started on Hugh Jackson. Yeah. It sounds like yeah, there's just a whole lot going on there. But we're, we you just mentioned Josh Rosen. So yeah. Josh Rosen. Um, Probably the most polished right now could come in and run a pro-style scheme. You could drop him into some of the more successful organizations um, in the league, and he would he would thrive immediately. Um, is that is that a fair take in your assessment, or what does he need in order to thrive? Okay, um, as far as strengths, uh, his experience and his understanding of plays and the concept and the reason why we do certain things is the best in the class. Um, you know, some of the thought behind it, not just, okay, tell me what to do, but, oh, I see why you're telling me this is going to put this safe, the free safety in a blind here where he has to choose between the high or the low, you know, where he has to follow the route that's going deep down the field or the one right in front of him. So I, I see how he bites on the one beneath I throw it over the top or he backs off. Well, then I have that wide open underneath, you know, target to hit on, you know, the dig route or whatever. Right. Um, but in terms of his ability to execute an offense, uh, I think his best fit is in a timing based West coast offense. Um, you could go in, into the short Earhart Perkins style one as well. Um, but it's mostly making uh, anticipation throws over the middle of the field, like inside the numbers um, is his strength where he actually has some issues is doing things off script. Like if his first two reads are, um, are covered and he has to buy some time, he can do that as long as he stays in the pocket. But if you have to have him scramble, his mechanics break down on the move and he's less accurate. Um, or if he gets, um, pressure in his face like it actually um if he has room where he can step up or step to the side to evade pressure it's fine but when he actually has a rusher bearing down on him and let's say the guy's one step away he has just enough time to get the throw off he makes some really bad decisions in those situations where donald is almost the opposite right uh, but we'll get to that yeah so no uh, i mean let's let's go there so there are quarterbacks like that in the NFL. I mean, and Andy um, Andy Dalton is an example. If he's clean, he can work work the progressions. If you get a little pressure in his face, he's a disaster. Um, and that 
you and can, you can be decent in the other. Yeah, no, that, that, that's yeah. a pretty good comp. That's a well. good example. Yep. Um, so Sam Darnold, you mentioned, he is widely regarded as the best quarterback prospect in this draft. I've, I think it's ironic. He only really started playing quarterback his junior year of high school. Um, has only played two years now in college. Um, what do you see in Sam Darnold, and why is he best set up to succeed at the next level long term? So Darnold's interesting because he has that ability that when there's a guy in his face, it doesn't fluster him. I mean, he has to get the ball out, but his decision is seems about the same as, you know, if he was clean, right. you know, if he was protected. Uh, he doesn't seem to panic uh, and doesn't seem to throw the ball. Doesn't isn't taking dangerous, you know, risks in those situations. Plus, he just has the ability to buy some time. Not, I mean, he's not especially athletic. He, he's, you know, decent, but it's mostly just with savvy that he can extend the play just enough to get the ball off. Um, so that's a big positive, and that's how he gets some of these comps. They're ridiculous at this point. Uh, to you know, like Aaron Rodgers or whatever, um, but but it's just it's just his physical tools and his ability to mentally not let those deteriorate when under pressure. That that he yeah, he, he mentally but, doesn't lose. He doesn't break down under pressure mentally. Like everybody's got the physical tools that stay. But well, and along with that. His um, ability to do, you know, like I, I described before, how a more structured timing offense would have you, you know, go through your drop, and then the ball has to get out, you know, on a certain schedule, first read, second read, third read, you know. Um, he's close on that. Yeah. I would put Rosen number one with that, and then Lamar Jackson number two, and they're pretty close to each other. Donald... Mentally, he's he's fast enough, and uh, his release is fast, but his footwork lags behind. Right. So, if you can fix that, you know, drill him on that footwork and bring it up to speed, then he could get there. Um, where you can't you can't tell if Allen or Mayfield will ever get there. Um, right. So I would have, you know, but with Darnold, he's close. And so you can see a projection of if this happens, he could be the complete quarterback. Um, and I think that's why he's kind of the consensus number one. Final quick well, wrap-up on, on all of these quarterbacks. Yeah. Which one of these, it, it can be two, it can be three, it can be one, with your understanding of Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley's um, philosophies and schemes, which one fits? Which ones fit the best with what the Browns are trying to do next year? Well, um, one comment I want to make related to that: uh, I ignore everything in press conferences and all that stuff. So do we. But there was one thing that I found interesting. It was something that Tyrod Taylor said. Uh, he talked about how Todd Haley's playbook is very player friendly. That's good. Which sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't guarantee us anything, but it 
it sounds like it's Todd Haley's playbook and player friendly. It's probably the Earhart Perkins system. Cause that's, that's what Haley runs. That's what he ran in Kansas city and what he ran in Pittsburgh. Um, so that's a good sign for any of these young quarterbacks coming in. Yeah. And because like it's going to be simple, th- right? Like it's not yeah, going to overwhelm simpler, them. Yeah. It's to your point about them not having to worry about how to make a call in the huddle, but just thinking about what they actually need to worry about on the field versus like actually yeah. memorizing you know, all this verbiage and all that sort of stuff. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good sign. But like I said, no guarantee. I mean, just because Tyrod Taylor said it, you know, he might not have actually gotten the playbook yet. I think he has, but oh, yeah. we'll see what, what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, he definitely would have gotten the playbook. They're already going to be doing um, some practices coming up here. But anyways. Um, so is there any one of these guys that, that you would, you know, put ahead of the other as far as Todd Haley's system? Well, it depends on how – there's a couple factors with Todd Haley's system. How flexible is he willing to be? If he wants to run the same offense that he ran in Pittsburgh, I think Mayfield is the number one best fit uh, because Pittsburgh's offense ran a whole bunch of four verticals, and then they ran some underneath stuff too, especially toward the sideline. Um, and Mayfield is the best uh, deep thrower out of this top five group. Darnold has flashed that when his footwork is right. When it's not, he can't do it. So they got to work on that footwork if he's the guy. Um, Interesting. Okay. Jackson and Rosen haven't really shown uh, that kind of velocity under deep throws. Uh, Allen has it, but he's so far away from, you know, doing anything like that that. It's my worst nightmare, Josh Allen yeah. on the Cleveland yeah. Browns. My absolute worst nightmare. We we have enough problems already. Like we don't <laughs> we don't need to like sign another one up. I will hunt down Mel Kiper personally and attack him. <laughs> well, he had he had us taking Mitch Trubisky with his final mock last year. He thought we were going Mitch number one. So I don't know. I don't put a whole lot of stock in Mel's opinions. To yeah. be perfectly honest. Yeah, and uh, I also don't know how. I don't think anything's coming out of the F- Cleveland front office, so I think people are just guessing at this point. They're not they're not getting solid information. Yeah. So So speaking of the front office, Tim, if if you're okay, I think I want to pivot a little bit to a new question, which is sure. we have a completely new front office. So we had kind of become accustomed to Sashi and his analytical approach. I think the three of us were pretty keen on where things were going and weren't um, particularly excited to see football guys come in and take over. But there is a proven track record of these guys that we now have running our front office, being John Dorsey, Alonzo Highsmith, and Elliot Wolf. And we can look at the track record of what these guys like, the type of players they select at various positions, and can project guys that maybe – might not even be on the draft board for the Browns um, heading into this draft. So what we'd like to do next is kind of go position by position and take a look at which players this front office might be inclined to take and what is going to what that is going to look like. 
All right. Uh, do you mind if I make a comment about Dorsey in general? Absolutely, please. Um, his track record. His track record. Oh, okay, so I went back and looked at um, the combine data, you know, and some pro days for guys who didn't uh, test at the combine for Dorsey's five drafts in Kansas City, and then the ten drafts before that when he was in Green Bay. He actually had more in Green Bay, but I just went back ten years. Um, and was looking at all of his picks in the top four rounds. Um, and now in Green Bay, Dorsey wasn't the one calling the shots. It was Ted Thompson. But still, Dorsey had some kind of influence, and I wanted to see if there was a connection, if there were similarities between his Kansas City uh, picks and the Green Bay ones. Right. And for the most part, it's the same philosophy. It looks to be. So – what I did going through position by position was looking to see, is there any pattern here, you know, in terms of the athleticism he's looking at? Um, so when we get into individual positions, yep. uh, I'll give any comments on that kind of stuff. If there's somebody who would be, it's not going to be definite, but just here's players that fall within you know, the trend that he's done before. And here's guys that if the Browns draft them, it would be an outlier. The first time they drafted a guy with this slow of a three cone or this bad of athletic testing or whatever, yeah, you know, that makes sense. That kind and of I thing. think, I think it's yeah. important for us as we're looking at the draft to understand that this is a real thing that the front offices are doing. Like they look at direct measurables and they're not looking at the full list of available players in this draft they're crossing guys off the board and literally not even including them if they don't meet particular thresholds and i think that we have enough evidence of that from you know hearing from former gms and stuff in the media and all sorts of places so this is an interesting exercise to go through um and we'd love we'd love to hear your thoughts let's start with running back and kind of go across a few positions we think the browns might hit in this draft what have you seen from this front office regarding running back, and what do you think we could be looking at from the for the Browns in this draft? Okay, overall for John Dorsey, he looks at position and role, even within that position, role-specific traits as opposed to box score production. So with running back, um, Dorsey actually uh, and the Packers did not – put much stock in um, measurables, in combine stuff. This is one of the positions that they did not, um, where most um, they do. But what he seemed to look for is more just based on the tape. You know, how is this guy making his decisions? How, what kind of runner is he in terms of efficiency, in terms of some of its risk and reward? Um, so anyways, you have guys like, Darius Geis, Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, that take a lot of runs, you know, whatever's there, that they might take a two-yard gain or even a no gain or one-yard loss where Saquon Barkley gambles a lot and he'll risk losing four or five yards in order to try to make 25 to 75-yard run, um, I don't see that as a fit with the style of running backs that the Chiefs and Packers had drafted when Dorsey was there. Praise God. Uh, It seems to be, yeah, but things can change. 
Another thing, too, is only one time in his tenure during those 15 years did they take a running back as early as the second round. They never took a first rounder. Took some third rounders, but so they had one guy inside the first two rounds, mm-hmm. zero in the first round. If you're talking about a guy in the top four, that would be something that Dorsey has never been a part of. Yeah, so it's um, going to be so interesting yeah. for me to see what he chooses to do because also if you look at those 15 years, he's never had this many picks in the first two rounds. So I, it's, well, yeah, you know, because no one's ever had this many picks in the first two rounds. No, so that certainly right. has an effect on how you look at the value of those picks. I would, I would imagine, and so maybe that does, he might still stay away from it in the first round, but I wonder if he would be willing to go there at the top of the second round if one of some of those top few guys are available. It'd be interesting. So who would we be most interested in, Tim? Who would you say fits our scheme the best? Um, where in the draft do you think we draft them? What is What does that look like? Most likely. Well, um, I mean, one that would be really interesting, probably won't happen, would be if these uh, off-field rumors about Darius Geis come true and he falls to the second round. That would be a really neat one. You get him at 33 or 35. Yeah. That's probably not going to happen. Um, I could see Carrion Johnson or Royce Freeman at, uh, what, 63? Um, 64, yeah. 64, yeah, that's right. 64. Um, yeah, I could see that. Um, that makes sense. So, Tim, unfortunately we're running short on time, and to be perfectly candid, my cell phone battery might be kill this conversation so i want to move things along a little bit and um and move on to a two more positions and i'll let you pick them because you've done the homework on all of these things but what are two more positions you think um from looking at the draft history of dorsey and the rest of our front office that um we can kind of narrow down who we might be looking at um as as you look at those particular positions well i'll try to go really fast and maybe we can get in Another one. I don't know. Okay, sure. Uh, Go perfect. ahead. Offensive, offensive tackle really fast. Um, Mike McGlinchey, an offensive tackle, he's really the only one who you could say you could plug him in week one and be okay. Other guys need work. Yeah. Um, he could go in the top ten, or if we traded down with Buffalo, he could go at 12. To me, that would be a very underwhelming pick, but it's exactly the kind of pick that the league does at that position, yeah. um, unfortunately. Um, so that would, that's not what I'm hoping for, but it's, it's a possibility. Then the other guys, Dorsey likes athleticism at this position. Uh, the Packers had certain thresholds at 10 yard split of the 40, uh, short shuttle and three cone. And it, that cuts out about half of the players, um, so what kind? Obviously, Dorsey Orlando Brown's cut out. Yeah, Orlando, Orlando Brown's cut out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who else Dorsey is off the list? Really, really likes. He prioritized overall athleticism even more. So we're looking at guys like Connor Williams, Colton Miller, and Brian O'Neill, really tested well. That yeah. are more likely to be ones he'd be interested in. Okay. Or if we were waiting a little later, somehow we get like a third round pick, maybe Joseph Noteboom, um, but. That's enough for that position. Uh, we can move on to another one. All right. Say really quick guard. There's a really great guard class. Oh, my Possible goodness. Possible if they got picked number 22 in a Bills trade. 
if they could use it on a guy like Will Hernandez or maybe if Isaiah wins there, if they were willing to move Joel Batonio to that seems left like tackle. The, that seems the only scenario we would want to take a guard. And yeah. it seems that we have evidence that Batonio has not been told anything right. about moving to tackle. So it seems so right. unlikely. So it's very unlikely. Yeah. yeah. So I'll move on to wide receiver really quick. Okay. Um, so there's two, I don't know what they're thinking. There's two possibilities I could see. Depends on how confident they are in giving Corey Coleman another shot. Because um, he's set up to be their flanker, which is like their number two wide receiver. Right. Um, where Landry's kind of going to be probably number two or even number one in production, but he's probably going to be more of a slot and even lining up in the backfield, moving all around kind of chess piece kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not going to have a strict position where Corey Coleman has that, that flanker position. Probably they could bring in another guy to challenge him there, or they could bring in a guy who is to put it in Todd Haley's offensive terms, uh, like a Juju Smith-Schuster type, which is a player that really – he wasn't very good at um, beating man coverage in college, but he was very advanced in his understanding of zone coverage. And in Todd Haley's offense with the deep passing, he was able to read, here's where the safety is, or here's where you know the deep linebacker dropped to. And he would be able to adjust his routes – so as to widen some of these distances between himself and Antonio Brown or, you know, whoever else was out in a pattern. Um, so that these route combinations where an example would be if he's running a dig and, you know, Antonio Brown was running the post, he would maybe break round off his route a little more. So it forces the free safety to have even further of a gap between his, you know, two coverage responsibilities. And so he'd really have to make a decision. Stuff, really subtle things um, in terms of that kind of route running. And there's some guys in this class that do that that I could see Todd Haley really liking. Um, examples would be Anthony Miller, uh, Deshaun Hamilton. Um, Where's he from? Penn State. Deshaun Hamilton is Penn State, yeah. Okay. Um, Calvin Ridley, but he's, he's going in the first round. I don't think we're going to go there. So Anthony Miller in the second round or Deshaun Hamilton, uh, if we, I don't, I don't know if he'll last till the, the fourth round, but maybe if we had some kind of trade and got a third round pick, um, if we wanted a guy who was kind of could maybe do that role or could challenge Corey Coleman a little bit, there's other guys that could be in the mix like uh, Dante Pettis, Michael Gallup, Traquan Smith, mm-hmm. uh, so wide receivers, wide receiver yeah. is such an interesting position for me as I think about the it's Browns. Like three because there's we have three guys that have very distinct, unique skill sets. Like they are very different. So if they all stay on the field, yes. I like our wide receiver core. But it's a guessing game as to which one is not going to work out potentially or be here long term. And yeah. and so when I think about who we need to draft, I, it's almost like. Don't know who's, who, who whose do spot need do you need for? to fill, yeah. because that seems like what you're trying to do in 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 most cases here. Is it Josh Gordon? Is it Corey Coleman? Or is it you know Jarvis Landry? Yep. If it overlaps one of their positions, 
Right. I mean, if it's a guy who's a similar role, yeah, I definitely. It, some of these draft picks just in general, too, are going to tip Dorsey's hand a little bit in terms of how he values some of the players currently on the roster. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so like, move, moving on, um, is there another uh, position group that you really want to hit? Yeah, defensive end. Um, okay. So Bradley Chubb is a possibility at the top of the ah, draft. I um, love it. Be a dream come also true. Harold Landry, also Harold Landry, and if a trade down, Marcus Davenport. Um, Dorsey really liked guys who had size and athleticism, and those three have have it. He also liked guys who had traits on film where you could see their ability to do things to translate to the NFL level. And Chubb and Landry really have that. Davenport has some and there's other things other tools that he has where you can you can see the plan where he could develop into you know a real a real effective rusher at the nfl level really quick i also want to mention free safety uh yeah we'll wrap it up after free safety go ahead yeah it's it's a shallow position um but Demarius Randall, we can't be certain about his transition. He's played corner in the league. He was a college free safety, and his tape was decent, not amazing. It seemed kind of like this is just plugging a hole in the roster. roster. He'll have Mm -hmm. a chance to prove himself, but we don't really know if there's going to be a long-term commitment there. So if talented free safety just happened to fall to us, um, I could see it, but there's only a couple guys who – Justin Reed tested really well um, and out of Stanford had good. What's that? Out of Stanford. Stanford, yes, yep. yes, yeah. Tested really well and had good tape, but they played him out of position a lot. Um, that's one could be early second round. Okay. Uh, Jesse Bates out of Wake Forest. He's not as good of an athlete, um, but he played free safety a lot in college and did a nice job not making mistakes in coverage. Um, just the deci- There's a huge factor of decision-making at that position. Um, another guy who's kind of coming out of nowhere is Tarverius Moore from Southern Miss. Uh, hmm. He tested really, really well. Um, I mean, like 99th percentile kind of thing at his pro day. Uh, four three two forty and, and all his other drills like he's eleven foot uh, broad jump, really crazy uh, how well he tested. Yeah. Uh, watching watching his tape, uh, he doesn't always display that athleticism on his tape. He's just so so very patient and disciplined in his coverage. But there are times where I talked about um, the offense is trying you know vertical offense is trying to put stress on that free safety where yeah. he's in a bind and has to choose. There are times on his film where just because of his quickness and speed, he's able to challenge routes where he was not Wrong. actually in coverage. Yeah. Like he's able to close that distance. And usually it wasn't like that he could get to the ball, but he could, yeah. There's some really impressive things that jump off on his tape. Um, but he's more raw. There's a few things where when he's been in man coverage, he gets grabby. Like he, mm-hmm. he seems like a, a bad, a bad press corner <laughs> when he's in space. He doesn't know what to do in man coverage, but in zone, he looks really, really promising. Um, okay. That's like a third round kind of guy. And then there's some conversion projects in um, 
Mika Fitzpatrick and Dane Crookshank um, that I'm a little hesitant to go that route just because I'd feel more comfortable if we had some room on the depth chart at strong safety because this is a guy who's kind of a jack-of-all-trades master of none and I don't want to spend a high first round pick on a guy if I'm not sure what position he's going to play, especially if we end up with three decent strong safeties and no free safety out of, yeah. you know, that, that's not a very good investment last year. Um, that's not what we want to yeah. look at. Um, so, but there's still potential there. Yeah. You know. Makes so, sense. so Tim, um, one final question we have for you. I just want three, uh, four names who your ideal mock draft, who are the first four people we take in this draft? Okay, Sam Donald, Bradley Chubb. Um, trickier for me because I wish there was a good offensive tackle at the top of the second round. <laughs> right. I'll say Colton Miller, even okay. though his tape is bad, but I can still see, I can still see a path to correcting that. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam Chubb, then, Colton Miller, and then who we got? And then I'll skip down to sixty-four, and I'll say Royce Freeman. You're so a Royce Freeman guy. Is, All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't. Yeah. Awesome. It's a good fit. Okay. Awesome. I'm hoping for Darius yeah. Geis there at the top of the second round. Other than that, I'm completely on board with all hey, those names you just mentioned. All, all five of those, I'll be on board. Thanks so much for coming on, Tim. We really appreciate it. Um, like we mentioned earlier, we love following you on Twitter. You're obviously um, really deep into um, looking at, at scouting and what players do well, and we just appreciate hearing your perspective. Um, so if you don't follow um tim miller follow him at bumbly jack um we really enjoy we're always um retweeting stuff that he puts out um great perspective so thanks so much for coming on we really appreciate it we hope to talk to you soon all right well thanks for having me on guys yeah for sure enjoy the draft my friend all right thanks so much for tim for joining the pod we we appreciated his perspective um he's obviously put a lot of work into looking at all these guys and um, we so appreciate him giving us um, a little insight into his mind there. Hopefully we'll see if we get some of those um, people that fit our specific schemes. We'll, um, we wanted to talk about coming up to the draft, who we all wanted for the Browns to get. Obviously this is a huge draft for the Browns. The difference between a, a bad draft here and a good draft here is the difference between continuing to be mediocre no, we're not seasons, me- we're not even mediocre or awful four and twelve seasons, but we were mediocre for a long time before we implemented this plan or legitimate Super Bowls. If we pick the right quarterback, if we pick the right positions here, um, we we have a chance to do something special w- with all this draft capital. Um, so, Michael, when you're looking at this upcoming draft, um, who do you think is the 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 most important person to you to draft in? Um, starting off, and what, what would be the best-case scenario um, after Thursday night? So I, I'm i already at the stage of the game with the draft. It's Monday night as we're recording this. I Like, butterflies are already forming inside the pit of my stomach. Like, I am getting very – Because we're going to screw this up. Because I like – it, your... it is, like, my inclination to assume that we're going to screw it up. I have no reason to believe that John Dorsey and anyone else in that front office, like, will screw it up. But the Browns, in their history, continually screw this up. And the last couple of years, honestly, with Sashi were the only times I felt 
pretty positive and confident in what we were doing and that we were prepared for the draft. So not knowing what is going on, and I applaud John Dorsey for holding the cards very close to his vest that no one at this stage of the game truly knows what the Browns are going to do. I'm all for that. But the unknown for me as a fan is making me nervous. Um, But that's not your question. The question was, what is the ideal situation and the ideal scenario and outcome? To me, there's there's two elements that make the ideal outcome for the Browns. The first is, at, with the number one pick, as long as we don't take Josh Allen, we're in great shape. We and I like literally will sing and dance and scream if we don't take Josh Allen at number one. I could take Josh what Rosen. Take Sa- what if we take could, Saquon Barkley? No, that's not good either. <laughs> but I, there's, I, to me, there's absolutely no chance that that happens. I yeah, don't even think there's sure. a possibility. So we're taking a quarterback at number one. And whether it's Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, or Sam Darnold, we will be in great shape, in my personal opinion. And so to me, as long as it's not Josh Allen, we're great. And then what would make this like super sweet is something I've mentioned on the podcast previously, is if somehow Darius Geis falls to the second round and we get him at 33 or 35. Right. I think that is, like, an awesome situation. I think a similarly awesome situation would be if we take, like, Chubb or trade back and, you know, take whoever we do in the first round and we're still sitting there at 33 and a guy like Maurice Hurst drops to 33. There's going to be some players that drop, like – there's going to be all kinds of guys. Who knows what there's going to be a big run on, whether it's offensive linemen or corners. But the resulting effect is going to be some high-level position player that somebody thinks, that most people think is going to go around 20. It's going to be sitting there at 33. If it's a Darius Geis or Mo Hurst that fits like needs of the Cleveland Browns, I'll be really excited about either one of those mm-hmm. guys. So I'm hoping that we get some good fortune with that those top of the second round picks that the guys that are left fit what we need. Cuz the worst case scenario in my opinion is if like the offensive linemen kind of drop and like those guys aren't really that great anyways and it's yeah. like uh should we take them or should we not? Like You're I kind of want... banking on teams like reaching for those guys Yeah, other Yeah, I'm going to be almost yeah, I'm going to almost be celebrating when more quarterbacks like if Mason Rudolph gets picked in the first round I'll be, be great. so excited because it's one more good player that gets kicked to the Browns Absolutely. at the top of the second round. Um, same thing with those offensive linemen, like you mentioned. So um, that's really what I'm holding out for is the really a couple really good players to still be there in that spot. Who do you want most at our second pick at four? Ideal. Uh, to me at this point, it's kind of like old news, I think, is Bradley Chubb, I guess. That's your um, idea. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, I, Matthew. There's no one else I would want to Matthew, take what do you want? So my ideal draft is kind of crazy. So, so we're getting wild. I, I, I want a quarterback at one. So for me, that's Sam Darnold probably. Maybe I think there's like a 25% chance it's Baker Mayfield. I actually don't think Josh Allen's even in the mix. Um, Optimism. Based, based on the people we have in our front office and what they've said before they joined our front office, I think Baker could be in the mix. And the fact that it's so silent like is uncomfortable to me. Um, but Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, I'll be, I'll be okay with. At four, I think we're in a good position to trade down. So what I want to do is I want to trade with the Bills. And I want to get – See, okay, can you stop for just a second? Yeah. Because you're saying you think we're in a good position to trade down. Recently, I'm worried that we're not in a good position to trade down. The Giants aren't going to trade down. 
Okay, so I don't think the Giants are going to trade down. But I'm not so sure that the that anyone's worried about the Broncos taking a quarterback. And I feel like that's what makes the Browns pick really valuable is if people are threatened that the Broncos are going to take a quarterback. It's true, but there's other teams. There's there's the Cardinals, there's the Dolphins to some extent who are looking to to move up. Like it doesn't have to be the team that picks right after you. It just has to be all right, now you're the first team who's willing to like move back. And there's a, at least multiple teams that are willing to move up and try to get that spot. Yeah, but if you go backwards from there, so if we don't think the Broncos are going to take a quarterback, which I don't know. I think they probably should consider it if, yeah. I'm, a, if I'm John they're, Elway. They're enough of a wild card to me to be an asset in this situation. Like yeah. that, that it's not out of the question. And if you're the Bills, you don't want to lose the guy that you want because the Broncos are going to take it. It's also its value really depends on which quarterbacks are still there. Uh, right. So I if mean, Saquon like, so goes if, number two, that's good for our trade ideal. opportunity. Or it's Chubb. ideal. Chubb has a decent chance to go number two to the yeah. Giants. No, I mean any any position. If Chubb goes number two, trading back is now my number one. Absolutely, option. I agree. I agree. Yes. Um, if Saquon goes number two, I think trading back is still a good option. But I'm so happy to just take Chubb if no offer like manifests itself. So what I would prefer to do in my ideal um, is trade back with the Bills for the 12th pick, forego the 22nd pick, which is their other second rounder. So any trade with the Bills, I think, has to be the 12th pick and their 2019 first round pick as like the, the two like linchpins of that deal. And then pick up 53 and 56, which are two mid-round second round picks from them. So that's mm-hmm. two first round picks, two second round picks. Pretty happy with that to move from Four to twelve, and then if package those picks for if more first round picks. Somebody who I really like, maybe it's Bradley Chubb. It's not inconceivable that he would drop to this. Trade back up to six, which is the Colts pick. The Colts are very willing to trade back with, mm-hmm. with their roster situation. Trade twelve fifty three, and then our sixty fourth pick, which is the end of our second round, mm-hmm. to get back up to six. Mm-hmm which all of that works with the trade value chart and is, is very reasonable. Um, in, in that scenario, we would have traded back from four to six, picked up a first rounder in 2019, and moved up from 64 in the second round to 56. Right. And we'd be in a good spot. Maybe Bradley Chubb is available. You could go secondary. That's starting to get in the situation where Denzel Ward would be a good possibility. Minka Fitzpatrick will be there. You can go Derwin James. My point is, though, even if you stay at 12... You're still in a great spot. I'm okay with staying at 12 in that scenario and having the two second-round picks and keeping my 64. You don't get the first-rounder next year, which is the big thing that you're losing Well, no, no, you would still get that. If you trade it back back. to 12. Yeah, Yeah, no, so that's what I would rather... You're keeping that regardless. I'd rather not pop back up, is my point. But but I'm saying you, you could pop back up if, say... So say um, they trade back up, they take a quarterback, and then a quarterback goes five to Denver, right? Mm -hmm. And four quarterbacks go in the top five with Saquon Barkley to the Giants, and Chubb is still sitting there at six. Mm -hmm. And you could trade back up and get Chubb. At six would be... That would be sexy. Yeah, I mean... Like, that is the ideal draft. And I don't know know that it's, like, plausible or possible. The trades work out. Obviously, players have to fall. But what I like is I'm comfortable sitting at 12 with those extra second-round picks. I'm also comfortable giving up those picks to come back up to six to get the guy that I want if he's there. 
That's yeah. the whole point of having capital. That's fair. Do what so, you want to do. So to to piggyback off of you, you this point, if you weren't able to jump back up with the Colts, who would you want to take at twelve? Who do you think might be there? I think Minka's going to be there. Minka's so dropping too. down draft charts, and I will be if if we got like Darnold and Minka at twelve, and then all those second round picks and a 2019 first round pick from the Bills, which is going to be it's top ten guaranteed. That Bills <laughs> roster is terrible. Like the Miami Way Dolphins, more guaranteed than that Texans pick yeah, that ended the, up being the fourth pick. The we Miami Dolphins, an ACL tear to yeah, get that fourth the pick. Miami Dolphins probably have the worst roster in the league, like top to bottom. But the Bills aren't far behind, yeah. and so I feel so good about that Bills pick going into next year. If we could walk out with Darnold and Minka Fitzpatrick, who fits a need, and we can use them all over the place and do whatever, and then get all of those extra picks, I'm dandy. Yeah, to me I'm too. So happy. Some other players that would interest me at twelve are Harold Landry. Yes. Would be really interesting to me at yeah. number twelve. If, if he's still there, I mean, which Denzel Ward likely. could even be there at number yeah. twelve. Like, there some pro- of these like secondary players. One of those it, three are probably going to be there, and I'd be happy with any of them. One of those three, you're saying which three? Fitzpatrick, Harold Landry, Denzel Ward will probably all be there. At, one of them one of will them. probably be there at twelve. Right. I so, think so too. Go for it. Yeah, no, that would be great. I completely agree that I like the idea of the of foregoing the twenty second pick in favor of getting the first rounder next year. Like I wouldn't want, yeah. I would not want to get a, to make a trade with the Bills unless the first rounder next year is included. I also yeah, think that's it makes, my foundation for for that trade. You've yeah. got to include next year, and then we could talk about what else you need to add. We're on this train of getting two first round picks every single year, and it's just worked out for us great i don't see why we stopped doing it trade move back 10 spots eight spots whatever get a first round pick next year for a team that you don't think is going to be producing the way that other people think they're going to it's a it's a risk because you don't know what teams are going to do but you can't be as myopic to think to not factor in like how good that roster is and how much you value that draft pick no, I think like that's if what, you that get has a, to be what we did if with you the get, Texans. If you get like an Eagles future first round pick, like it's not nearly going to be as valuable as a Bills future first round pick. Like, yep. and you can tell teams that you don't value that you value it the same way, but that can't be true. Yeah. So, Mark, I, I think for I think for me, it's it's. I would obviously love that if we created a bunch of value with trading back and still got the people that we wanted to. Right, like if we trade back and still got. Um, Bradley Chubb at six and we got more picks that would obviously be my ideal Um, but just as a a simplistic exercise for which is probably not the case but if we just picked players at the positions that we have right now I would love to get quarterback number one overall I want Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold Um, at number four I think that Chubb I actually believe that Chubb is going to be picked second overall um, to the by the Giants, but I would love it if that didn't happen and we got him at four. That is what I would like to happen. That's my ideal draft. If at, he's if he's gone, who do you want at four? I don't even have an opinion. I want to trade back. Like it, like I. But we have to take somebody there. If we that's have, actually if we, a really we, like good question. If we I don't have a good answer back. to that question. If we can't trade back, then like I think it. What is it? It's Minka Denzel Ward, Minka Fitzpatrick, Minka James. Well, I don't want well, Saquon is like Saquon? A, a realistic possibility. I think that if we had to pick someone, it would not surprise me at all if they took Saquon. Do teams would teams be interested? In, like, would the Bucks 
be interested in moving up from seven for to, Saquon. To take Saquon? Maybe. They because the have, Broncos might take him? Yeah, the Broncos actually might They take don't have him. a running back. Like, that might be an interesting, like, mini trade back where if Saquon's there, somebody's maybe willing to move up or where. What do you think you get from the Bucks to do that? Like, their second rounder? Maybe a second probably. rounder. Yeah, like, you probably get their second rounder. I mean, I'd do, I'd do it. Like, because then you can get Denzel. Ward. Yeah, I feel perfectly comfortable Minka picking Denzel. Or Chubb. Potentially. Or James. Well, Chubb, no, Chubb's Chubb's going on this scenario, that's right? Oh, right. Yeah. Or Harold Landry at seven. Like, that's that's not ridiculous. Yeah, no. I'd be okay with it. I mean, I'd do it. I'd, I hope we don't take Saquon at four because I don't think it's a good value. To me, but worst case scenario is Chubb going at two. I don't. I really don't want Chubb to go at yeah. two. Rosen could go two. No, but worst or, case scenario no, is Chubb is, going no. at two. The worst case is Chubb going at two and us not being able to trade back. No, that's yes. not the case because if Chubb, well, yes, and we're not not being able to trade back. But if Chubb goes at two, then that increases our value of our number four pick because there's going to be more quarterbacks. There. That's my point. That's why and the worst case so, is the two things in yes, conjunction. But so it would suck if we can't pick Chubb, but then we have more value there at four because there's going to be another quarterback. Yeah. But if Chubb doesn't go, then we basically get our number one quarterback and the number one player that we like outside of quarterback, which is incredible, incredible draft for us. Um, so basically, all I really care about is uh, – that's not true. But the, most, the biggest two things I care about is those first two, first two picks. But if we could get a good running back and a good cornerback, a good true outside guy like Isaiah Oliver at the beginning of that second round, if he dropped that far, I think that would be awesome. I think um, he'll be there at 35. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then like if guys dropped to there like – I don't know how teams evaluate these guys, but I think that there's a chance that they could both be there. Guys, maybe not as much, but um, if we could get both of those, the first two picks of the, or early picks in the second round, that would be awesome and ideal for me. Michael, you wanted to talk about some of the NFL draft prop bets. I haven't even read these things yet. No, that's the idea. Um, so I'm going to give you my gut reactions. You just hit us with them. Me and Matthew are going to pick them. You pick them too, um, and we'll keep track. So this is one of my favorite things that uh, the NFL draft has risen in such popularity that um, the sports books are now like placing prop bets um, out there for for us all to to bet on relative to the NFL draft. And there's a ton of them. Like if you're a particular fan of like the Big Ten or the SEC, like you can you can make bets on how many players from each conference are going to be drafted in different rounds and all sorts of stuff. So I kind of cherry pick some that were interesting to me, and we're just going to bounce them back and forth. Matthew, I'm going to go with you first. We're going to cater to the listeners a little bit and, yeah. go, and go with some Ohio State players. Oh, So yeah. one of the – It one of the brings pro- in the views. Yeah. brings in the views, that's for sure. The views aren't important. The downloads and listens yeah. are quite important in the podcast world. Um, People are watching our podcast all over the world. It's the most popularly viewed podcast. So the, this prop is the number of Ohio State players selected in the first and second rounds, and the line is set at three and a half. So over three and a half, the it's currently at minus one twenty five. So that means you got to basically spend one hundred twenty five bucks to win a hundred, and then the under three and a half is at plus one hundred five. So you'd win one hundred five for a hundred dollar bet. Which way would you go on that bet, Matthew Kuhn? Oh, this one's tough because it's kind of tight, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't I don't love these Ohio State players, especially careful. Especially that fourth one. How dare you? Um, I mean, so it's Denzel I'm, Ward, right? Is almost def- it will definitely be selected within yeah. that range. And then the next three are really where the question comes in. It's it's Billy Price, who's got the injury with his knee, right? Yeah, something like that. 
Sam Hubbard and then Jamarco Jones, the offensive tackle. And he's probably the one that you're wondering whether or there's not a, there's he's a second lot, or third round. There's a lot of like questionable offensive tackles in this draft. There's there's probably five or six guys that I could like we could rearrange the order of where they get drafted and we're we're not really sure which one's gonna be. I'm gonna go I have to go the under on this, I think. Because I I just don't believe that there's gonna be four of them. Uh, I hate to agree with you, but I'm actually going to agree with you. Um, I, I think that because you don't have to pay as much, you have to pay extra to take the over, and I just think that the value in this particular bet is on is on the under three and a half. I don't see Jamarco Jones going in the second round, but the offensive tackles are going to go one of two ways. Either the need, of the positional need is so great in the NFL that they're going to be reached for significantly, or everyone in the NFL is going to realize and determine, oh, the value really isn't there because the talent isn't there in this particular class. We're going to wait, and these guys are going to get pushed down. One of the two things is going to happen, and I don't know. And so it's pretty hard to predict. But I'm going to guess he's a third-round pick, and this is going to be an under three and a half. Which brings us to the next prop bet, which is quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Over five is a minus 140 bet. Under five quarterbacks is plus 120. So basically what we are betting here is whether or not Mason Rudolph is going to be picked in the first round. Because I think most people think that the top five guys are all going to go in the first round, and then Mason Rudolph is kind of a question mark as to whether he reaches that threshold or not. Mark, are you taking the over five or under five quarterbacks in the first round? Well, I think this is a flawed question because I think it's going to be exactly five, but that's probably how Vegas wants it. It's and a so push. I like so it's, a, gets, it's a push, and everybody I think, gets their money back. But I'm not. I'm not. So I think it will be. I think there will be five quarterbacks taken in the first round. But it, to be interesting, I'm going to say over five, and that the Patriots maybe in the late late round take Mason Rudolph or or someone that they really like. Um, I think there's more of a chance that it goes over than it goes under. Because I uh-huh. think Allen and Lamar Jackson are both going to be picked, and obviously all those other guys are going to be picked. There's a way higher chance that it goes over than it goes under. Um, agree. I think five is probably the number, but um, I would I would take over as well. If I had to place a bet on this particular wager, I'd, I'd say over. But teams teams love trading up into the top of the the back end of the first round to, to get, get that, that extra fifth year, fifth year option. option the fifth year option and a quarterback is even more valuable than any other position so if somebody really really was in love with Mason Rudolph like that would be the spot to do it because lord knows the New England Patriots at 31 will trade out of the first round to go no into the second um, so it's a possibility the next one is running backs drafted in the first round which is a very interesting huh. one to me that is interesting <clears throat> Over or under one and a half? So over one and a half, you got to pay 185 to make 100. Under one and a half is plus 165. What's your bet, Matthew? I'm taking the under here. Like, I really like Darius Geis, but in that back half of this, the first round, I don't like m- many of the fits for him in that first round. So... We're either talking about a team trading up to come get him or he's going to slide and due to no fault of his own. So I'm going to take the under and take those odds at the 165. I'm I'm right with you. Uh, I get more than my money back if I place the $100 bet. 
We saw it happen last year. Who would have guessed that Dalvin Cook wouldn't have been taken in the first round last year? Exactly. Like, we see this happen over and over again. When there is depth at the running back position, like there is this year. The teams the teams that are good don't like to draft running backs at the top of the To me, the, the question round. is whether teams are putting Darius Geis into an upper tier that maybe isn't equivalent with some of the that next level of running backs. So, like, if he, they think that he is similar enough to Sony Michelle, Ronald Jones – and uh, Nick Chubb, then I think there's no that it would be really easy for him to make it to the second round, which is selfishly what I want for the Cleveland Browns as well. Be great for us. So I, I'm with you on the under. I'm being really bad at not at having a differing opinion, but you know, I mean, if you're smart, you're smart. Next pick, is, these are fun. So the last three I have here are player to be drafted first. So. Saquon Barkley minus three sixty or Bradley Chubb at plus two eighty. Mark, this is an interesting question for you given what you stated about Bradley Chubb already. I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna take Bradley Chubb. That's great. <laughs> at two eighty I mean that's a that's so, a hefty so, bet. That's so Mark, a hefty you, bet. You realize Don't get that, me wrong. I would have to put down a lot of money. No, 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 no. No, no. no you win. Big time. That means you play put down one hundred win. Another two eighty. Oh, great! Yeah, or I'm taking Bradley Chubb. No you would, brainer. You would have to put three sixty down to win a hundred dollars. Oh, on gosh. Saquon Barkley. That's awful. No. Yeah, Bradley Chubb all day. Take it to the bank. I'm gonna put four hundred dollars down because <laughs> that's yeah. I'm picking Bradley Chubb every single time because we I should just keep don't track think... of this and see who who actually wins the most okay, money. We will right, do this. Keep it we on will record. Do... I'm putting no. four hundred dollars down on Bradley we'll, Chubb. We won't Actual do money. it on the podcast, but let's do it after this. We'll each set a set amount of dollars and allocate them across these bets. Yeah. Let's say a thousand. We each have a thousand bucks, yeah, or something. So. And we'll okay. allocate our dollars Perfect. accordingly and figure out the winner. Classic. Make a competition out of everything. Love it. And what I'll say is, I think that the odds are probably better on the Bradley Chubb bet. So I might be inclined to put a little bit of money on that front, just because I like the payout. But I'm pretty darn sure that Saquon Barkley is going to be picked before Bradley Chubb. Really? Jones. He's going number two. Why do you – The Giant. Why do you think – Dave that? Gettleman's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the reason. Like, that's the reason. He, he he's that. never traded back his entire career, which is just, like, statistically the wrong option. Like, I don't know what, what like, offers he's gotten, but there's not a chance that you've never gotten an offer that is worth trading back. Yeah. Um, and – Everything they've done just seems like they're in it for now and not looking towards it. They, they should take a quarterback. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind yeah. they should take a quarterback. Yeah. They shouldn't take Saquon or Bradley Chubb. They should take a quarterback. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and they're not going to, and the Giants aren't going to be good. So I really think – Three years. I mean, I really think Saquon is going to go to the Giants and will be drafted ahead of Bradley Chubb. But to have to pay 360 – to win a hundred, I'm not necessarily willing to do that. So I probably would just forego this particular bet. And if I had to do yeah. anything, I'd go on your side and put a little bit on the chub. But like, because I think there's to... a possibility. But um, I'm if I had to guess. But like the Giants need Saquon a, they need a pass rusher. Chubb. They need to replace JPP. Like they they've, need... they've got Olivia Vernon, who they who's like the highest paid pass rusher in the league. But they they need to replace. That's yeah, true. But. They also, JPP, they also need a running back. JPP wasn't, wasn't the same, and they they dumped him to get out of that long-term deal that they just signed him. I don't I don't think it was actually a reflection on whether they were interested in drafting Chubb. They were just saw the opportunity to like 
long-term yeah. But you also always need pass rushers. Sure. And a defensive end high in the draft is always a good pick and historically so, yes. been a good pick, and people make that pick. Yep. Drafting a running back high in the draft has not been. And so but I'm recently gonna, so it's been I'm a good gonna, idea, and they're going to see so that. So I'm going to err on the side of caution and say that they're going to look at the historic metrics and say this is the smart move and not make some rash decision, and I'm going to put my money on <laughs> the fact that they're going to draft Bradley Chubb and my confidence in the fact that they're going to draft Bradley it Chubb. It really is a super – I mean, the whole draft, like the front half of the draft, hinges on that Giants pick no, and it what does. they choose to do. And it's such an interesting thing to look at because historically the Giants like go heavy on the defensive line. But, they always have. And Dave Gettleman has been part of those front offices in years past before he went to the Panthers. Right. And so he was a part of the Justin Tuck and the Michael Strahan and all of that sort of stuff where they've gone heavy on the defensive line. So that makes you inclined to think that they might go Bradley Chubb. But if you look at the positional need for the New York Giants at running back or defensive end, there's no doubt they need a running back more than they need a defensive end at this particular point. Well, they've needed no, a true. running back for the last... 10 years. No, Brandon Jacobs since, was a horse. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, they just haven't. Since they Tiki have, retired, they just, yeah. Since yeah. Tiki, they just haven't gone out and gotten it. Yep. So, like, I don't know what you're going to value, historical precedence or, like, the right business decision. Well, that's why it's such an interesting yeah, point. Yeah, it absolutely and is. He, and no one seems to really know what they're going to do, although it seems Except like... Except I do. They're going to go Bradley Chubb. I'm putting $400 <laughs> on it. All right. Perfect. <laughs> which which brings us to the next player to be drafted first. Is it Ronald Jones the second at minus 300 oh. or Rashad Penny at plus 250? Matthew. I feel like I know the answer to all this. I'm taking Rashad Penny. Yeah, I, the money's I, too good. The money's too good, and I there's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of buzz. He's well-rounded. Jones isn't. He's kind of he's more of a one-trick pony. Like he's a speed Jamal Charles like type big back. play threat type guy. So while I don't doubt that Jones is gonna get drafted by somebody like fairly high, I think there's a decent likelihood that people fall in love with Rashad Penny. Um, and jump up to get him, and I can't pass up the money. Yep, I think the odds are great in Penny's favor. Another point about Ronald Jones, though, is there's been some negative like talk about his interaction with teams mm-hmm. and the way he's come across in with different teams. Sam Darnold and likes him, but that's Sam Darnold's that's just salt of the earth, though. So <laughs> Sam Darnold loves everybody. Marlboro man. With. <laughs> so I'm actually with you. Rashad Penny at plus 250, it's too hard to pass up that money. I He is a guy that is getting enough positive talk that you can see people falling in love with him, getting the type of like... It, you could see him going as the third running back. Yeah. And you wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, like you'd I mean, be like, okay, sure. You, yeah, you see guys like this jump up that are kind of getting hyped all the time. I mean, I equate it to like he's not going to go at this level and this high in the draft, but like... A Corey Davis. Like, yeah. No one no, expected. That's exactly what I was nobody expected Corey Davis to go inside the top ten, or even be the first wide receiver, receiver drafted selected and, last year. But you know, somebody fell in them was that was what they wanted, and the Titans took him at number and five. They last were year. wrong. Well, he was just <laughs> hurt last year. It's, that's it's like a Corey Coleman situation. He was hurt going into the draft too, so yeah. <laughs> maybe they were wrong. Uh, I'm willing to bet that Corey Davis is going to turn it around. He, he seemed he seemed pretty good when he was on the field, but we'll see. So, bringing us to the very last prop bet I have written down, which is player to be drafted first, wide receiver, Calvin Ridley, who has long been considered the consensus number one receiver in this draft, at minus 300, or Cortland Sutton, 
who has all the physical measurables that you might like to see, um, but played at a little lesser competition at SMU and hasn't played the position for all that long at plus 250. I just This is a very interesting one. I just one to don't want to enter into this bet. Like I don't think that it's a wise business move to enter <laughs> into this bet because okay. if you had to though, which it, which side are you taking? I would take Calvin Ridley because exactly like you said, like it's just he's been the consensus number 1 for this entire time, but there is a chance that exactly like you were just saying with the Titans that someone is in love with Cortland Sutton and they jump up in front and they draft him first overall. I think it would be a, or That's not the first game, o- my friend. Not first That's overall, the but game. They, they draft him as the first wide receiver, but I just don't I doubt that it's going to happen. Uh, I love where Vegas has this right now because I think it's perfect. I could see either side of this bet hitting. Um and I would I would pick Calvin Ridley, but uh I wouldn't want to bet on that at all in any way. <laughs> so, it is a crazy It's a, this is a hard one. Um, because I'm not even sure either one of them are the first wide receiver. It could be DJ could Moore. Be DJ Moore, right? Um, and so it is going to be so dependent on what, who. What happens is in that case? Receiver. You just get your money back. No, it's, no, it's which just one player to be drafted, drafted first. first between these two guys? Oh, that's it's right. Between Ridley so it's not and the Sutton. first wide receiver to it be drafted. Matter. It's just player drafted first. Who's first between these two guys? And so I think I'm going to take the money and the odds on Sutton on this particular bet. I mean, I just like the, I think that both are fairly likely to happen. And so I like my opportunity to win a little more on the plus 250 with Cortland Sutton. I, I think there's a very legitimate chance that he's the first wide receiver taken in the draft. Just because of how big he is, the Josh Allen effect. Yeah, I mean, like people look at him and see a Josh Gordon type player, that type of potential with him. And there's there's typically some group think in the NFL, like when one team thinks something, the other teams kind of follow suit. So I think if Calvin Ridley, um, if DJ Moore goes above both of these players, I think it's probably pretty likely that Cortland Sutton is the, the next player off the board and not Calvin Ridley. Just because people are, whether they make a quick reaction in the moment or they're all just thinking along the same lines for, for the long term. Another interesting one that I didn't put on here, but was like number of wide receivers in the first round. Like how many wide receivers do you think are going to go in the first round? Like we're talking about these three guys. Any one of them could be the first one, but I don't know how many of them are I, actually going to be in the first I round. I would bet two. Like, like I just don't see that there's that many. Yeah. I'd, like I'd you, be right around there. Like I, I pictured Gordon Sutherland going at the beginning of the second round. Christian Kirk. His second round. His second round. Probably. For, probably, but they'd. I'd say one. I only think one wide receiver goes in the first round. And you think it's Cortland Sutton, according to the bet you just made? Uh, I think it's even odds between all three of those guys. I really yeah. feel that way. And so the reason I'm taking the Cortland Sutton is because I think it's even odds in the payouts. And you make more money. Yeah. So I, I have no clue. The wide receiver position is a complete mystery to me. So I'm interested if the Browns have like a crush on one of these guys and only one of them does get drafted in the first round if we take one of them at 33 33 or 35 if they're in love with one of these particular guys. Because it wouldn't surprise me at all if if a few of them are still available. I mean, the Giants are the only team picking between us in that second round. They just dropped Brandon Marshall. But they've got Sterling Shepard. They've got Odo Beckham. For one more year. They've got to keep Odell. Like, you can't – you don't win – in the NFL, letting talent like that walk out the door. Yeah, I agree. 
agree. Like you've got to find a way to keep him and like deal with his shit and fine. Can the Patriots find a way to win without dealing with people's shit. They're dealing with Tom Brady <laughs> shit. I think there's a lot more Tom Brady shit that you have to deal with than like people realize. I think it's Robert they're, they're, Kraft shit. No, there's a lot of Tom Brady, like Alex Guerrero, trainer, like witch doctor. That was like the all first sorts thing of, that ever came out about all that. All sorts of stuff. No, and but now, Tom Brady's been weird for a long time, and nobody's like said anything because he's not loud, and he doesn't come out and like talk to the media, and he is like pretends to be this Bill Belichicky in like play it so cold but he's not really shit like you're he works so hard internally it's so hard and he happens to have a trainer that he likes he works harder than everyone else in the building is that shit or is that not shit no but because i don't think when he but when he doesn't like listen to the 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 team trainers and he starts recruiting other players to not listen to the team trainers and like he starts getting special treatment and like and he's like, also been like th- that apparently his I team think, trainer is right because look at how good he looks at his age right now like he was actually helping the team and and so sure but i think like the internal locker room strife is so much more important than what like the media reports and what people like post to Twitter and like talk about in the national narrative. Like, I think there's a lot that goes on internally in these organizations. Sure. sure. But you're making the about. argument that like something's going on that we don't know about. That's a ridiculous argument, but it's starting. <laughs> like, no, but it's like, starting like, it's to come like, out. You can't, and, you can't and, like, prove anything about that. Like, no, you can't say that you're that's seeing signs real. of it though. I think that there's more drama and noise coming out of new England after they lost the super bowl mm-hmm. this year. Tom, this stuff was already lingering. This was going on throughout all of last season. Imagine the if Guerrero they haven't stuff. been having success. Like, and they did not retain a bunch of those players. They traded Brandon Cooks. They did a whole bunch of stuff. Danny Amendola went to Miami and talked about how hard it is to play for Bill Belichick. Nate, Sold- Nate Solder said, Nate like, Solder decided, ah, it's no, kind of I a don't. brutal place to be. Like, I don't want to go to New England. Like, New England clearly wanted to keep Nate Solder, but he was like, ah, no thanks. I'm not going to stay in that environment and maybe take a little bit less to play on the winning New England Patriots, which they've been able to do with players of his caliber in the past. And now Gronk is putting up a fit about getting paid. Like, things are not all well in New England. There's no doubt. Sure, but There's is no Tom, doubt sure, sure. But is Tom Brady the source of that? I don't think so. Like I think that's ridiculous. I think that's Bill Belichick's authority like authoritarian, like his style, the way that he runs the program. It's not fun to play football for the Patriots. To say that it's Tom Brady like stirring up shit, I think is ridiculous. That's I know that's an absurd thing to say. No, no, it just, but it just sucks to play no, for Bill Belichick. No, and that's and that's fair. And I don't know that like Tom Brady's stuff would would necessarily be a huge issue elsewhere what i'm saying is that like each organization is unique and internal strife is a much bigger deal than external strife like the giants and the like wide receivers taking the trip to miami before that playoff game and being on the boat like i think that was a much bigger deal to the external media than it was internally and i don't think anybody really cared internally i think the patriots are the complete opposite i think there's a lot going on internally with those like egos and like and how that organizations door. run and they lock the door that we don't see that then comes off as, Oh, everything's fine and dandy when there's a lot going on there that you don't see. Whereas 
the Giants, you see Odell Beckham going to Miami on a boat and like, oh, yeah, we're talking about that. And it's like, that's who cares? Yeah. No, that's fair. I agree. No one cares about that. Yeah. I'm and if, if the Patriots haven't been winning, I think it would have imploded a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. Winning covers up a multitude of sins, and our sins are very exposed because there has been no winning. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our pod. We're super excited about the draft coming up. We are going to release a podcast on Thursday night after the draft. Hopefully, we'll get some hot takes from Grandpa um, immediately after when we don't draft Josh Allen or Josh Rosen. I'm sure he'll be very <laughs> He's upset be about so that. Mad. <laughs> um, uh, so, There's like a 5% chance we draft like know, like yeah. his result happens <laughs> and he's so, so there's a 95% chance that he's angry which is great for us great, great for the ratings good content um i hate to wish ill will on my loving grandfather but um that's perfect for what we're doing here um we would like to take this time to thank our sponsor barbasol um with uh they now have their new razors so they don't just make shaving cream anymore but they make premium disposable razors you're looking good america the brand America trusts. That right. It absolutely is. Um, when we ran our 40, we had a silky, smooth finish line. Um, we set up two Barbasol cans and had a smooth Barbasol line right there. Smooth finish for Matthew. Not so smooth of a start for Michael. I'm actually but surprised nobody stepped on it. Like, it, it was still was, perfect yeah. when we were done. We, both, we all stepped over it, which yeah. I think means we were inefficient. No, I think it means that you don't take nearly as many steps as you... You take way less steps than you do take when you're running, which is obvious. You're more likely to not that step on it. That legit no what? sense. <laughs> yeah. This podcast has been too long. We got to get out of here. I don't even know what we were talking about those last 15 minutes. Um, oh. Anyway, thanks, Barbasol. All right, everybody. Survive the draft. We'll talk to you on Thursday night. Go Browns. Made a lot of sense in my head.